Well, this morning, I would love to introduce to you a very close and dear friend of mine, Ken Rout. Now, Ken's a missionary in, um, uh, uh, in Africa. He spends a lot of his time helping resource the local church to do the job that the local church has been called to do, training up young men and leaders to take the message of the gospel or the message of the kingdom into their particular areas and help them to work that out. Well, good morning, folks. Good to be with you all. Um, I think the last time I was here was Andre's concert. Yeah, so that was a year or two ago. But uh, we've known Huddy, I think, um, since the early days of our rancho. And uh, uh, I think our first meeting together, we were doing a sort of a working bee there and... and, um, and we gave trouble to one another. And, and I, I think cabbages ended up in my bed and sugar ended up in yours. <laughs> so that was my sweetest contribution to their lives. But anyway, it's good to be with you. And uh, I've been listening to the messages that Bruce has been bringing on Ephesians. And, and when Pete was organizing me to come here, then and he was full of Ephesians. So we want to do a little bit with Ephesians uh, uh, this morning together. Uh, but I think I'd like to start off, please, um, just with those questions that the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 18. And because Peter's already talked about the old times when we was young, and all of us here once upon a time was young, and uh, the question that they asked here was, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and um, uh, had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Just want to sow that seed. I think um, when one gets uh, maturer in years, we don't get old, we get mature, okay? And uh, I, I was given some tickets to go to the symphony orchestra on Friday night, and I was escorted along by people I didn't even know when it started. But when we got there, we got there when they were in the middle of the first piece. And so we were told by the people at the door, I'm sorry you can't, get into your seats at the moment, uh, but we can try and find you a place where you can sneak in the back. We want you to, to sit. And then he looked at me and he says, and you especially. <laughs> so I took a little bit of offense, but um, it's nice to be in that class where people are ready to look after you because you are mature. But when we look back in our, in our lives, we, we remember the things that God has done in our lives and, and when he talks about us being uh, like little children, a little child just trusts their parents. They can ask you for something small or they can ask you for things well beyond your financial ability and all the rest of it. But as far as we're concerned as little children, we just trust implicitly in the Lord, don't we? And, and we get to the point in our, in our Christian lives when we start off with that just that close and real love of the Lord. 
But unfortunately, while we mature, we forget that childlike faith. And that was part of the adventure of, of the church at Ephesus. So I don't know if we, got a, if we can just... Um, I've got my one here just so that I can see some, seeing my back is to it. Um, the story of, of the Ephesians is, is a wonderful story and, and you've already started to hear about some of the teaching that Paul was giving by letter. Today we want to visit after that and we want to visit before that. Um, but there seemed to be something in Paul's heart that he loved that place of Ephesus. And yet God held out on him for, for quite a while. Uh, history is a wonderful thing. And, and God's plans are always best. If we go to the next picture, I don't know if any of anybody in the room recognize where that is. That's the Civic Theater, the Town Hall of Invercargill. And everybody looks at it as, you know, the town hall, etc. I was a war baby. I, I was born at home as part of my war effort, even before I knew there were anything about there being a war. But the Civic Theatre in Invercargill, third row of the middle of the dress circle, three seats in, was where I was born again. And when I look at that place, I remember God and his graciousness. My dad had run away from the brethren. My mum had gone to the Anglican church because none of her, her family went, but her friends weren't there. And so in glorious church unity, they got married in the Presbyterian. And so I went through the Presbyterian Sunday school, won all the prizes, etc., etc. But on that seat in that hall that night, I understood for the first time of what God knew about me. And it wasn't good news. And as the preacher was preaching that night, I began to think of what God knew about me. And, and each of these things that came to my mind was like tremendous big stones. And very soon I found that I had built myself a prison cell. And I was starting, just 12 and a half, but I was starting to sweat there as I sat in that seat. And then the preacher went on and he began to preach about Jesus and the cross. And all of a sudden there was a door in that prison cell, the shape of a cross. And God was saying, you can go through it if you want to. And I not only wanted to, but when the prayer was prayed from the front and, and I not only repented of my sins and trusted in Christ, but I said, Lord, you know the things that as somebody going into their teenage years that would have a strong hold on my life and I trust you to deliver me from those things. So from really from the beginning, there was that childlike faith. What I had never been able to face up myself, I could now trust God to do. And that was why that place of, of spiritual birth was important when I was 12 and a half. Next picture. My grandfather, known as C.B. Rout, uh, brought up mostly at uh, Stewart Island, um, and so that was where our old family homes were. But I, I, he, uh, <laughs> the primary school I went to, his house was just over the road, so that was good for cookies after school, etc. 
And when he said to me when I was 14, he said, Ken, I prayed for you and dedicated you to serve the Lord before you were born. And from that moment I understood about predestination, not only from God, but the faith of my grandfather said, you're separated unto me. And so for all of that time, for the last 58 years, I've had that on my life that that I am dedicated to please and to serve the Lord and to do what he wants to do. And I have to keep my, my faith as the faith of a little child trusting in him. Because as we mature in our understanding and in our skills, we, we're inclined to, to put God in a box. And there's not that freedom to serve and, and to please the Lord. So it was my grandpa that, that told me that I was dedicated. I belonged to God fully and for his service. I knew that his brother had gone to the Congo in 1918 and served the Lord there. His sister with another friend had gone to China to serve the Lord for 40 years. His two other sisters went to Wairoa and they saw the first Maori people in Wairoa come to the Lord through what they did. So I knew that there was a long time sort of thing in being separated to serve the Lord. And so I thank God for my grandfather. Uh, The next is a picture of Stewart Island and This is Half Moon Bay. I found that my grandfather's father-in-law was the first school teacher at Stewart Island, but he started the evangelical mission, the first church at Stewart Island. And so history was there. I knew the foundation that was laid for my life, and that was the springboard. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is to go back And think of the springboard, the things that God has put into your life. And this morning he's especially saying to us all, don't get clever and comfortable in your faith, but keep childlike so that we're clinging onto God and we're saying, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. The next picture is is the story of a, Uh, a German missionary, a young man from the north of Germany, and he had in his heart to serve the Lord. And so the Lord said, New Zealand. And he arrived, and there are a lot of German people, as some may know, around Motueka, and they said, oh, you'll be the pastor of of these German people here. He said, no, I came to be a missionary in New Zealand. So they said, we've got a place for you. And that was on Ruapuki Island in the middle of Fobo Strait very flat little island. The South Island was ruled really by the tribe that lived on on that island. And he stayed and he lived there and then a whale boat went all around the coast of Southland, uh, throughout Stewart Island to wherever people were and he preached the gospel. He actually used marriage seminars because in those days not many people were officially married. And he taught them about marriage and Christian marriage and he used that as a means of of leading people to the Lord. If we go to, if I go to Stewart Island to the the museum there, I I find that all of the things that I expected to inherit from my grandpa's household are in the Stewart Island Museum uh, joined with Brother Wolders who did that work there. 
Um, I remember going to his graveyard once when I came back from Africa. And, and it's there uh, on a little, by Ringaringa Beach. And, and, and as I went there, I, I read it. And you know, and it said he was born in Bremen, uh, Germany. And he died, you know, at Stewart Island. And I thought, oh, I'm a missionary. I wonder where I'll die. And it wasn't a morbid sort of thing. It was a thing that we're in total adventure with God in our lives. And all of these things are part of the excitement of God leading us forward. And if we lose that adventure, that sort of thing that we had with childlike faith, then God is put in a box and we'll be trying to find what is back there. And God is saying, you need that childlike faith. Love me like you used to love me. Depend on me like you used to depend on me. And do the things that you used to do. And the next one. We've been in our home group um, here in Upper Hutt. We've been, we've been looking at Acts chapter 2 and, and verse 42. The new Christians. And I think these things are part of your church, the teaching. I've listened to Bruce, and, and uh, I've listened to each of his messages three times, and I'm still taking some of the stuff in. But we talked about fellowship. And you know, in the church of New Zealand, you know what fellowship is? It's a cup of tea after the service. And very little of the time during that cup of tea do we ever talk about what we have been worshipping, what we have been learning this morning. And I tried to get across to the people in my group, although I wasn't leading it, it was my turn to have, have a word. And I said, you know, fellowship in those days was them being together. They were added together and they were thinking and praying about what they ought to be as a people of God. They didn't have a big church like we're having today. They met in homes. There, were no, there was no big place. They, they went sometimes to worship in the temple area until they got thrown out. But then it was in homes. And these things happened in homes. And the fellowship was there. How can we as a group of people Know the Lord better and serve the Lord. Because the Lord has given us instructions. Simply, you shall be my witnesses. And so here we are, we're God's people. Pete tells me that you have quite a number of home groups here. And, and this is the time where you have real fellowship, where you share how you are, how your week has been, what you're fighting with. You share what the Lord has been teaching you. Um, you've got as part, in part of your notices this morning, this Bible reading card. If you've had a look at it, there's parts of it you don't understand because it's Kenyan Swahili. Um, but here is a Bible reading plan and what often we do when we go into a church in, in Africa, we say to them, now, if you're going to be an effective uh, group of people, then you need to be reading the Bible daily. Many places we go to, they don't have Bibles. And so the people who have Bibles have to invite their friends in every day so that every day the people are reading the Word of God and applying it to their life. And then they come together at least once a week, not for somebody to be their teacher, 
but for them to share with one another what God has been teaching them and challenging them about as they've read the Word of God. We're very good listeners, but actually every time I open the Word of God, God wants to speak to me. And there's an important thing, once God has spoken to me, one, I ought to pray about it, two, I ought to apply it, three, I ought to share it with somebody else. Now you ladies know that once the man goes out of the house and he's supposed to bring back some bread at the end of the day, you treat him as a child and as he's walking out the door, what are you supposed to get for me? And he looks at you and he says, oh, it's bread, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. We need that with the word of God. And this is how the church grew because they, they read the word of God together and then they, they discussed it together. And all over Africa now we have, we have church leaders. <laughs> I think you've, um, I don't know if you've been on the other side of the river on uh, down at uh, um, Banana and those places on their side of the Congo uh, River. Um, but um, uh, when we were down there, we, <laughs> we went to have an open-air meeting with a church. And I discovered something unique about the churches there, that if you were an elder, the equipment of an elder was a bamboo stick. And an elder's job was not to sit down and enjoy the message, but if anybody starts to nod off, he had a ministry of thwacking. A bamboo or something like that. It didn't really matter what it was as long as it thwacked well. And you know, when you're preaching and you've got these guys going around thwacking people, it hardly goes with the gospel of love, doesn't it? <laughs> and so we went to have this open air. So here all the elders came with their thwackers in hand and we were going to go to the marketplace and for us to forbid them to bring their sticks with them, they look at you and say, you have stolen our ministry. This is what we do for God. But now in the churches we say, okay, now if, if you're one of the leaders here and you've got a Bible they work out the list of the people, the church people who live close to them and say they are your responsibility to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to read the word of God daily and secondly that you, once a week you will bring them together and you will talk and share what God has been teaching them and you pray for one another and you pray for your friends and your neighbors that they will come to know the Lord. It's a very simple little ministry of just getting people. They are not to be the preachers because we're all going to share what God has been saying to our hearts. And so we're encouraging one another in a good, you know, scriptural way. And all of a sudden these men can leave their thwackers behind because now they've got a ministry of building each one up in their faith from the word of God. And so... This whole thing of, of fellowship was so, so sharp as in Jerusalem as, as the people were together in that home and yes, they, they ate together and they broke bread, they had communion together and their prayer, their prayer was centered not only on their own lives and their own needs but the work that God had given them to do. 
And I go to other churches in Africa and they say, oh, we're having an all-night prayer meeting, would you like to come? Well, they're going to spend the whole night praying in Swahili. And so I sort of opt out from that. But I find out that, that all that they're doing is, yes, they're praying and praising the Lord for what the Lord has done for them, and they're praying for themselves and themselves. And I'm saying to them, but what about the world that God has given us to reach? In Philippians 1.27, it begins to, to, to say there that he wants to hear and know that their lives are worthy of the gospel of Christ. One of my favorite verses. The price that Jesus paid for us on the cross, that my life should be worthy of that price. And then he goes and says, whether I come or I don't come, I want to hear. He says, I want to hear that you are working together. And he says, and, and, and not be frightened. His, his picture is horses. And the horses are in a paddock together. And, and our modern version of fellowship is like a paddock of horses that are just grazing together. And the only time there's conflict is when this horse wants the piece of grass that that horse is wanting. But real fellowship is when the farmer comes along and, and he yokes them up and they pull the plough and they are sweating together for the purpose of bringing in a harvest. And that's what fellowship means in the New Testament, you see. And, and I would say <laughs> the most of the African church and the most of New Zealand churches are missing out on what fellowship really is. And we come so much to church for God to bolster us up so that we can live our own lives our own way. We don't have that covering, that challenge over our lives that I got from my grandfather when I was 14. It has to add up with the call of God on our lives so that together we are serving the Lord. The next picture just, I didn't take this one as you probably can observe. If, oh, you, one just before your one there. Have you got... Uh, oh, I've got one here that, I've <laughs> that seems to have gone missing. Um, I'm not quite sure where you've... Oh, okay. Just uh, like to page down a bit. And come, that's, that's the, I, I became a missionary early on in my life. I came to the North Island. There were desperate people like Pete that needed to be saved. Uh, coming next. Um, so I was part of OAC. I learned about OAC when I was when I, I was at Teachers College in Dunedin. And um, when Pete was calling on me, I had a Maori boys hostel up uh, up in Wadestown. And I think part of Pete coming to the Lord is that he came to some of the studies, the Bible studies that we had with the boys and, and if I remember properly one night he went home and he just said to himself I don't know God in this way and got beside his bed and, and in, in the railway hostel and, and invited Christ to come into his life and I was part of a team of evangelists and we went into factories um, uh, we went into prisons. We had open-air meetings, even up here in, in Upper Hutt. 
on Friday night all around Wellington, Saturday night in Cuba Street, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening in Pigeon Park. Some of you who are mature will perhaps even remember the OAC van being there. And we preached the gospel. We, every two weeks we would have a children's mission somewhere in, in Wellington. And, and uh, young people were saved. Uh, I got a, a visit one time when I was at Waikanae at our rancho from a man knocked at my door and he said, oh, my name is Peter Chain. I'm the Presbyterian minister at Kaikoura. And he says, I want to thank you. When I was a kid, you came to Eastbourne and did a kid's mission and, and you led me to Christ. And he's been the most recent moderator of the Presbyterian Church, a man who loves the Lord and loves discipleship. And uh, so the Lord gave us all of those opportunities and all of those years uh, around New Zealand in uh, preaching the gospel and leading people to the Lord. Then the next picture tells you that I got to Africa. You want to know how to save petrol? Buy a donkey and a cart. Uh, it's always been a place of great joy for me. It's home. Ghana was first of all my home and um, and there we, we went to teach churches, churches that were there 130 years old. And so they had got into their ways. I had a missionary friend there and, and they had begun an evangelism teaching program because the churches had said, we don't know anything about evangelism, we just know that we're supposed to be doing it, whatever it is. And so then they began to teach them and then they began to say, the, the people are so hungry to know Christ and come to the Lord that, that we need a way of doing, we've taught them on one-to-one evangelism, but how can the church be more effective? The next is a picture of young Ken. I haven't changed a bit, have I? <laughs> the very first time I preached in Africa in 1977, but we weren't there for me to be the preacher. Next picture. But we were there to train up in the church evangelists and evangelism teams. And from doing that, thousands and thousands of churches were planted. As we were saying in New Zealand, we used to say when we went to a factory, we went to an open air, that we were representing the churches of Wellington. But when we went to Africa, we had to decide something else, that the church needed to be the church. And we needed to equip the church so it would do the job that God had called it to. And so here you see a, a team, I think they're a Baptist church there, and and at the end of the open air, they, we had sketchboards and things like that. And at the end of the open air, they've got those huge smiles on their face because they've won people to the Lord. We used to have problems in Angola. We would go into a marketplace and you'd preach the gospel and they'd have about 250 converts. They had a problem with that. That church had not won people to the Lord before. And they were a church, it was during the war in Angola and, and when they, they had all come into town from their rural areas. So each church continued to use its local African language. And so when we went out in the open air, we had to teach them to use Portuguese so everybody could understand. So they said, well, how can we do this? We can't even invite them to our church because we're using a language that they can't understand. So I said to this one elder, let's have one just outside your place and you be the preacher. And so we did that. And of course, being a Portuguese country, 
Of course, Portu the Portuguese had brought Catholicism into their country. And uh, so as he set up the, the, the stuff, then the, the people were saying, huh, we didn't know our neighbor was a priest. <laughs> and he's preaching there. And, and at the end, all of these people came to the Lord and we said to him, now you take your people into your home and there you disciple them. You, you teach them and you build them up in the ways of God. And God put a very special seal on that first effort because his son, teenage son, sitting on his front fence responded in faith to the preaching of the gospel from his father and gave his heart to the Lord. So he, the church was into action. And we have this... Uh, verse next, and I think you all know it from, from Acts 1 verse 8. But I've, I've put the word all in there. Jesus was speaking to the 11 disciples, you shall be my witnesses. I remember as a young evangelist and I would go and preach in a church and I would say, have you won somebody to the Lord? Have you talked to somebody about Jesus today and all the rest? We actually were taught that you don't point with one finger, you use both hands so you have a ten-shooter. You know, have you, have you, you know, so you can get everybody in the, in the congregation as you're, as you're preaching. But it says here, you all, he, he was talking to those 11 disciples. So it's like, and I don't know who all are the elders here, it's as if Jesus is saying to you, you shall be my witnesses. Are you with me? So that it's, it's the responsibility of the leaders to say, Lord, you have given us a job to do. And so when all of these people came to the Lord on the day of Pentecost and they got into those house meetings, you had that time of, of they said, fellowship and prayer. And it was all to do as well for the Great Commission. If I was cheeky enough, I would ask a lot of my African friends, are you praying for one person to come to know the Lord? Are you praying for your neighbors to come to the Lord? Of course, I wouldn't be rude enough to say, what about you? <laughs> but this is the job of the elders, isn't it? This is the job of the elders because this is the word that comes from God. You shall be my witnesses. It doesn't say you, you shall be my preachers. You will just tell the stories of what Jesus has done. In the Old Testament, the parents and the grandparents were told to tell their children the stories of God. And he tells us, you shall be my witnesses. I had a, I don't know, there's a, another Congo Brazzaville family in, in Palmerston North they have a, a, a young man called Espoir. And on his way south, he's now in Christchurch University, but guy that stays with me knows that family well. So he came to, to stay with me. And, and on my computer, I have pictures. I have my prayer pictures of people I pray for. And somebody came up on that, and he says, is that Mr. So-and-so? He was my teacher at Palmerston North Boys. I said, yes, I've known him since he was a kid and he came through our rancho and he was strong for the Lord. He said, he taught me for many years and I never knew that he was a Christian. 
So let your light shine. We can be so busy in our witness world, in our living day-by-day world, that we actually don't think of our light shining. But here we have a whole spectrum of people of different callings in life, different stages in life, and we have contacts that nobody else has. And the Lord says, you are my witnesses. But the elders, the leaders of the church, are those that are saying, how can we, how can we make this more effective? One way I think that you can make it more effective, you've got all of these home groups. Let them be like the Acts chapter 2 home groups, the initial ones, and, and the fourfold things that they did within that, and the results if you read the rest of Acts chapter 2. And all of a sudden, it won't be just a comfort group. We have a nice group. And we eat together, first of all, you know, so we believe in prosperity, particularly about this part of our bodies. And, and then we share the word of God and we, and we pray together. But when we talked about this word fellowship, it was as if they were saying, and I got so discouraged, that is impossible to do that in New Zealand. And I say to myself, it was impossible for those first Christians but they loved the Lord so much it was a priority. Are you with me? It's quite quiet in here. But you see, if we want the good old days, and I know the good old days, we, we remember the Life and the Spirit seminars, and that was the, the birth, really, of this church, wasn't it? As a result of that, and did any of you go in the Jesus March that we, we had back there? Some of, this, was, this was back in the 70s. I won't ask Pete to give his testimony about that. Um, there were 25,000 people that marched from the town hall to parliament. And then we had a, a time of challenging the Christians to be witnesses and preaching the gospel. And in the members' car park underneath, 300 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ at the end of that. We called it the Jesus Festival. They were good old days. And God was working wonderfully. But now we're grown up. And God has difficulties with us because we are grown up. Because we've become stayed upon. We used to sing, stayed upon Jehovah, simple hearts are blessed. But it's us that's got stayed. And we say within ourselves, we can't do this. And God says, yes. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You are my witnesses. The next is a, is a map of Africa. And this is sort of my, my mission field. And I work particularly in... Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, and, and East Congo. Um, and, and there are churches, churches just like us, except um, uh, some don't look quite like us. This is, this is a typical farm around Lake Victoria. My friend Bob, who's the pastor now, as a teenager he gave his life to the Lord. His father was a Muslim, so he got thrown out of, of his home but he's been zealous for the Lord and he's planted churches and so on and, 
And he works hand in hand with us. And he went back to a church in his home village uh, by Lake Victoria and, and found that the church had selected his mother to learn how to, to run Bible reading groups. And in the very home that he was thrown out of, today there's a daily Bible reading group and the Muslim father sits and listens to the word of God. Isn't that great? we're in days of adventure. There are very happy people in Africa if we could go to the next one. People who know and love the Lord and there's nothing like a crowd of of Africans praising the Lord, is there, Ons? Um, The next one. Some of them, they don't have fancy churches. This is in Goma. The ground is, is all out of a volcano and the church building looks more like our old hen houses when we were allowed to have hen houses in town, you know. And yet, here are these people, and, but we have taught them how to do church. Except they, <laughs> they will take the old hour service and make it into three hours. And if you're having communion, that will be another hour. But nobody has taught them to go out and to be the people who are his witnesses. And so this is what we seek to do with them. The next one. This is the little church that we went to down uh, Lake Tanganyika uh, in Burundi. And you can see that it's only got United Nations tarpaulins for the roof, etc. And I had prepared a message to preach that morning. And yet when I, uh, when I got on to preaching, then um, we have got the right one, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, as I got up to preach, I knew that I ought to preach about the Word of God. And then at the end I said, how many of you would like to be reading the Word of God daily so you can grow in the Lord? And all of these people's hands went up. So then I said, now how many of you got a Bible? Please stand up. And so they stood up and they held up their Bible. And I said, now I want to pray a prayer, but I have to get your permission. There are all of these people, the majority of the congregation didn't have a Bible. So I said, you have the Bible. I want to dedicate your Bible to these people so that they can read the word of God and grow and be effective in the Lord. Have I your permission? They said, yes. And so we prayed that prayer. At the end of the service, when everybody went home, then the elders of the church, we met with them. And within a week, they had started 12 Bible reading groups so that everybody could grow in the Lord. Now, that was back in 2008, and we'd lost contact with them. Now they've finished their church building. And we've said to them, you know, we have a heart to visit you again and, and help you again. But now, because their church building is all nice, they're all settled. And they're doing things. So much so that there doesn't seem to be time for them to be the people of God in their communities. So do pray with us. A place called Mangaruka that we want to get in. Next picture. You've got two people very highly active. They're watched by a whole lot of inactive people in the background. You see, people say, do you need more missionaries for Africa? I said, no, there are enough Africans, Christians in Africa, but we have to get them out of the grandstands onto the playing fields. Is that the same in New Zealand? 
You see, if we come to church and we say, oh, who's preaching this morning? Oh, Ron's preaching this morning. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And we listen to Ron or we listen to Bruce and yet God is trying to say, hey, folks, we've got to get out of the grandstand. Can I, I would really like to read to you the message to the Ephesians. Um, But it's the message to the Ephesians in... uh, Revelation. Remember there were the the seven churches? God was very kind to John. John was the bishop of all of these churches. He was in jail on Patmos Island. and, And so obviously he grieved for the churches. How can you know what's happening in my churches that that I am the overall spiritual father of? And before God gave him this tremendous message of what was going to happen in the end times, God had mercy and goodness to him and said, but I can see your churches. So would you like me to to give you a message that you can pass on to them? And the first one was the church at Ephesus because that's where he lived. I've walked down the street. I've been told that John lived over there and the mother of Jesus lived with him. I was only about 1,950 years too late to go and say hello. Um, But this was where his heart was. And so this is the message that he says, and I'm reading uh, from what I was given in 1966 as I just left um, uh, Invercargill from teaching to go into OAC. So it's the living letters or the living prophecies, uh, the paraphrase, and, and it just says it like this. Uh, Write a letter to the leader of the church at Ephesus and tell them this. I write to inform you of the message from him who walks amongst the churches and holds their leaders in their right hand. He says to you, I know how many good things you are doing. I have watched your hard work and your patience. I know you don't tolerate sin amongst your members and you have carefully examined the claims of those who say they are apostles and aren't, you have found out how they lie. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Yet there was one thing wrong. You don't love me as at first. Think about these times of your first love, how different now, and turn back to me again and work as you did before or else I will come and remove your candlestick from its place amongst the churches. But there is one thing about you that is good. You hate the deeds of the licentious Nicolaitans, the people who said you can live while you like because you're a Christian now and God will forgive everything. Let this message sink into your ears of anyone who listens to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, to everyone who is victorious, I give the fruit of the tree of life in the paradise of God. So if we just um, go to, to the next picture, and that just tells you what we're doing overseas. Um, that is our desire, not for us to be... I've, I've been asked to preach at thousands of crusades, and my answer, I'm an evangelist, and I say no, because they need to be the ones... They are the missionaries in their area. So, if you go to the next slide, it just says, Dear Assembly at Ephesus. 
I love it the fact that you have still got upper heart, not just Christian fellowship, upper heart. It's not just where you are, you have named your mission field. When you name your mission field, you have to say to yourselves collectively, what have we done about our mission field this past week? If you go into the next one, here was the church's CV. And everybody in Upper Hutt knows of your CV, your Christmas programs and so on. That you've, I still miss going around the stalls at the top of the property and so on. Uh, but the, the, uh, in many places the Christmas carols have been taken over by ungodly people and so on. And, and praise God in Upper Hutt, through your life and your witness, the gospel and Christ is still exalted at Christmas time. You can probably go through and you can make up a list of the things of the church's CV that you have now. But we come to that verse, that next verse, which is just a very simple verse, but you don't love me as you did. We've talked about the old times. God is still the same. You can't say, oh, if only God would do this and this and this. Look, when we were kids, we had that, that childlike faith. But we leaned on people. We trusted in people. And God has said, I have been feeding you and feeding you. So don't ask me for the things of the old days. You're on a new adventure, but please be on an adventure. An adventure that shows how much you love me. how much you want to see this city reached with the gospel. Are you understanding? This is the challenge. Great that somebody is coming to, to, to be on your full-time staff. But I want to tell you, can I use my, my, my preaching fingers? Every one of you are staff of this church. Every one of you. And when you meet together in your, in your small groups, then don't just be drinking in the word of God and praying for yourselves. Keep, please do, <laughs> keep doing that. But we are the church in our heart. And God has got a calling upon us as clear as the calling that is upon my life from my grandfather. And it's upon this church. It doesn't belong to Peter. It doesn't belong to the elders. As Bruce said, God is the head of the church. I had a very unusual, and with this I, I'm going to finish. I had a very unusual experience when I preached at the first evangelical church in Athens. Second Evangelical Church. It was in 1980. And uh, so I was invited to go and preach at this church. And, and I don't even know what we spoke about. But at the end of the service, the guy who had brought me said, now, I can take you home now or you can stay, but we need to discuss what this message should mean for us as a church having been in Athens and having been on Mars Hill and looked down where the, where the uh, 
marketplaces were that Paul had gone and he was going there to shop, but he, he ended up preaching there, etc., etc. And he got called up to the city council on Mars Hill. So here was that all down below there. And he told them, I think you know about the unknown God, and he introduced them to that. Do you know the road up to Mars Hill today is named after the one man whose name is in the scripture who trusted Christ as his saviour? The, the road is named after him. And so I talked to them about their heritage. And now what must they be and what must they do? But I just want to challenge you this morning. As I go to Africa and we're working with thousands of churches, we're seeing people come to the Lord, uh, but it's the local people doing it. Pastor Bob, that I told you, went onto an island in the middle of, of Lake Victoria where there were Christian churches, but nobody had visited them or encouraged them. And so the witch doctor was all-powerful as well. So you went to church and you held Christ's hand and you went to the witch doctor when you had a need and you, you held his hand or the devil's hand. So when he went there to the church, first of all, he preached the gospel. Faith in Christ alone. If you say you're a Christian and you're following the Lord, you're not holding on to anybody else but the Lord. And the people responded to that. And they started, their lives were transformed as they trust Jesus only. There was one man who began to see people going along the street just as it was getting light in the morning. And he saw that day by day there was just a joy in their step as they were, as they were coming back. And he says, I don't know what they are, but he decided one morning to dress just like them and he slipped in amongst them. And he went to the Bible reading group and finally came to the Lord. Bob had encouraged him. When Bob went the next time, he says, oh, God is a tough God. Bob said, why? And he said, well, I'm now reading that God forgives us as we forgive others. He says, my brother stole my cow. And I had said that I would not have a brother anymore. And I hated my brother. And I'm reading this and I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to follow the Lord. And I had to say to myself, I've got to forgive my brother. I had a battle, he says. There were many, many days and weeks went by and I battled. And finally I got on my knees and I forgave my brother. And then he says, I went to my brother and told him that I forgave him. And he says, my brother never gave me back the cow. He never said sorry. But he says, the joy that came into my heart when I did what the word of God said to do. And now I'm in this group that keeps lifting me up and more and more people are coming to Christ. You see, this is God's vision. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your ch the church is your church. We want to thank you that we are your people. We are both sheep and shepherds. Thank you, Lord, for the history you've given to each of us. Thank you for the history that this church has. Thank you, Lord, it, it bubbled over from the special work of the Holy Spirit amongst a group of people 
Thank you that the Holy Spirit is still the same. Thank you that our Savior is still the same. Our Father in heaven has still windows that can open up and pour us out blessings that we cannot contain. But we come to you this morning to say, Lord, we will be the people of God. We will not just have empty fellowship. We will have full fellowship with the adventure of God in this world. We will be the Christian fellowship in Upper Hutt. And Lord, you will use us more and more because we make ourselves totally available. Father, bless the leaders. Father, I pray for every home group that this week as they come together, that they will come with a heart that will say, Lord, how do you want us to be that we can be a team of people who are effective for you? We thank you from Acts chapter 2 and the Lord added daily such as were being saved. Lord, we want to be those sort of people that you can trust with new souls. Oh, Father, we give ourselves that you will renew our vision. We come to bow at the foot of the cross and we give ourselves to you again in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Ken. It's been a joy to have you, but a challenge as well, as I thought it would be. <laughs> We're going to close there now, obviously, and uh, but I really want you to just to seal what Ken has spoken about in your heart. You know, there's been much that God has spoken to us about, and I'm sure there's there's been one thing that he's nailed in your heart today that's stirred something, that's, that's spoken clearly. And seal it, pray about it. As Ken said, when God speaks, pray about it, apply it, and then share it with others. So I just encourage you to to do that from the message today. But more than that, I I would encourage you to to download the the, the podcast or get the CD from Kumidini or Jenny or someone from the office there and, and, and play it, listen to it again and just allow that soaking to take place because there's been much that Ken has said that applies to all of us here. And uh, I really don't want to leave it. I don't want us to drop it. I don't want us to forget about it, to, just to go off and say, well, that was nice. Let's go and have a cup of tea. You know? But really just to, 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 really to draw on this, uh, this message that Ken has given us today. So we're going to close there. There is tea and coffee in the, out the back. Have some fellowship. (laughs) Uh, And and let's talk about over the weeks to come what it really means to be yoked together, to experience everything that God has got for us. Lord bless you. Have a great week. Maybe a a week of, uh, of, um, of understanding a bit more God's plans and purposes. Blessings. Bye bye.